Hello and welcome to the Foreign Press Podcast. I'm Nia Krufi Smatabe. This podcast is an educational program by the Association of Foreign Press Correspondents in the USA, AFPC USA. It's available on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and wherever you get your podcast. Imagine living in a city that has a clock counting down to the day the last batch of fresh water will dry up. What happens then? It sounds like a scenario from a far-fetched science fiction movie like Mad Max, right? Unfortunately, it's a situation that exists in our world today. This past summer, residents of Uruguay's capital, Montevideo, got to experience this. The city almost ran out of fresh water, so brackish water had to be added to the supplies. This meant residents had to drink, cook, and wash with salt water. But they are not alone. Iran is also facing a similar problem, and cities like Cape Town in South Africa and Sao Paulo in Brazil have had similar crises in recent years. As the effects of climate change become more pronounced in our world, this scenario is only likely to become more common. Dwindling supplies of fresh water would mean a decline in crop and livestock production, as has been the case in the Horn of Africa region since 2020. But it appears there are ways to slow down, if not altogether halt, the decline of fresh water, especially in areas where food and beverage manufacturing are concerned. Global food and beverage manufacturer PepsiCo has developed a suite of innovative strategies to this end that have yielded impressive results at the sites where they've been implemented. So, what are these innovations and do the benefits extend to the communities? David Grant is the Director of Global Water Stewardship at PepsiCo. He joins me shortly to tell us about some of these innovations. David Grant, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Um, Before we go into specifics, let's try and set the context uh, about the conversation we are having. And since we're talking about water, let's talk about water in general. Uh, Sometime during the summer, there were reports about drought in um, Uruguay's capital, Montevideo, that they are about to run out of fresh water. And we'll talk about PepsiCo's, um, how you are trying to avoid such a situation. But Given your experience in the global beverage industry, I wonder if you can shed some light on how frequent this situation is becoming, you know, the drought we were just talking about and the impact it's having on the um, beverage industry in general. Yeah, sure. So it's it's, it's happening a lot more frequently than we'd like. And we're, you know, seeing over the last decade or so how the... um, the frequency and intensity of these events are increasing. And it, it's it's because of a number of drivers, right? It, it's partly climate-driven. So we've got droughts, like in the example you given, and in Cape Town, for example, in 2018, where they had that significant drought that came very close to day zero. But there also have issues like infrastructure, which are playing an increasingly uh, big role in these sort of water outages we're seeing. And that's because of lack of investment in infrastructure, assuming and seeing a lot of that um, having an impact on water availability, water quality. And in terms of how it impacts the beverage industry or industry per se, it's not just the beverage industry. I think, you know, to date, 
we're not aware of many situations where there have been um, complete shutdowns of, of beverage industry or companies rather or factories but certainly uh, it's making us a lot more aware of the stress and 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 scarcity of water and putting and as a result of that putting in actions to like we've seen through our PepsiCo positive positive sustainability strategy putting these aggressive goals to both reduce risk to our business but also to our surrounding communities and and um, and and nature hmm. and uh, in my in my research i came across this term that PepsiCo is trying to achieve i mean we're used to net carbon emissions all the time but at PepsiCo as part of your PepsiCo positive initiative you're looking at becoming net water positive um as far as your operations are concerned, what what is that? Yeah, and we need to be careful not to be wrapped up in semantics too much. But you know, basically, net positive, and and, and you're right, it's, it's it's something that's been borrowed from the from from um from the carbon side of, of the sustainability agenda. I mean, at its heart, it's not about doing less harm; it's doing more good, having a positive impact uh, on on the on the natural environment. And for PepsiCo, what that means is is essentially three things. It's firstly um, reducing our, our operational water usage and uh, the water use in our in our supply chain. So for example, agriculture which is a big water use, user. So we've set really aggressive goals around that to be best in class in, in water use efficiency. The second bit is around the impact that we have on um, the watersheds that we draw from, right? So we've set a really aggressive goal of replenishing more than 100% of the water that we use. And what that really means is having uh, ensuring that whatever we water we taking out of that watershed, we're putting it back in again, and plus more extra. Um, so that's where the positive bit comes in, and and really talking to ensuring um, the health of these watersheds are protected, not only for our use but also for the surrounding communities that rely on it, um, the agricultural communities, and obviously the natural environment which benefits from it as well. Um, linked to this also, which is really important, is the governance aspect. So working with our local stakeholders, local um, local governments, national governments, and to ensure that there is a really robust governance uh, system in place to protect these watersheds, right? It's, it's great that we do work, but unless that there's, there's structural reform there, it, it, it's, it's always going to be precarious. So we need to make sure that that's in place as well. And then finally, you know, from a PepsiCo point of view as well, is looking at WASH the, the uh, water access and, and hygiene and sanitation for these local communities that are in stress. So what we often forget about is that companies are operating in water stress in, in areas, um, but the surrounding communities feel that same stress and they have a lot less access to the resources that companies like PepsiCo does. So we've set that really ambitious goal of, of um, uh, providing access to 100 million people by 2025. And that's really a key cornerstone of our water strategy and the net water positive um, uh, strategy that we're following is making sure that those community vulnerable communities have a- adequate access to potable water mm, okay that's great to know so since we started talking about uh, some of the things you're doing net positive as far as net water positive let's talk about the range of initiatives that you're using to cut back you know um, the amount of fresh water you use in your manufacturing process i'm just curious to no, before we even go into details about them, what necessitated this move um, to, you know, start looking at how much water you're using in your production and, you know, how to cut back on it? What was the situation like, say, five, ten years ago? 
and why are you doing these initiatives now? Yeah, I think it's 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 you know from a PepsiCo point of view, it's it's that recognition that um, you know wa- water is is a key enabler for economic growth for uh, the health of our communities that we operate in, and and obviously for the natural environment as well. And you know, as, as the evidence and data has come through um, in terms of how water resources are being impacted by climate change and de- increased demand and pollution, et cetera, et cetera. It's was basically our, our recognition that we've got a really strong role to play here. Um, and and because of our strong reliance on water through, throughout our value chain with this agricultural for our products, um, we need to make sure that we are um, fit and, and, and ready for a very uncertain environment. So that's really triggered where we came in with our, our net water positive strategy. And we set these really aggressive targets um, to, as I mentioned, to to reduce our, our, our water consumption and have a positive impact in our watersheds. And in order to do that, um, we have to think through some really novel and innovative technologies to get us there. Because there's only so much we can do in terms of business as usual and, and the low hanging fruit are, are relatively easy to get to. Um, and we, we basically got to that stage now where we're starting to look at more aggressive technologies that we need to get us to that to to our to our goals our 2030 goals okay so now let's let's get into details about some of these um, innovations you're doing i read about how um at your plant in Vallejo, mexico you went for about 200 plus days without using fresh water (laughs) walk me through that process it's intriguing yeah that's a that's a fantastic project and one one we're very proud of so Vallejo is, is, is as, as you mentioned, uh, based in Mexico, and um, it, it's, it's a really water-stressed area, as we know. Um, you know, the city that we operate in um, probably tankers in about half the water they need for, for uh, drinking purposes, and our, our local operation was doing the same. We had to tanker in, bring in water in by trucks um, to help augment our water supply because the city couldn't supply it all. And, you know, that alongside the fact that we had this really strong ambition to um, to, to act aggressively on, on, on water, figured some really innovative thinking for, 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 from our guys on the ground. And it was a combination of, of um, interventions that got us to this zero fresh water. So, you know, firstly, we had a very strong focus on um, recovery and reuse of, of um, water within our, within our process, so making sure that nothing goes to waste. So we've got a very advanced water treatment systems at our, at our facilities, and we take that processed water, clean it up to potable drinking water standards, and then pull it back into the process to, to use uh, throughout the facility, except for product uh, use or ingredient use. But the innovative part came as well is the recognition that um, you know a lot of the the, the processed water from other companies, other food and beverage companies, goes to waste. It gets it's, it gets pumped out into their treatment facilities, then goes to, out to the local um, river or utility or wherever it ends up. And you know, through working with some of our peers in in, in that city, we reach an agreement where we would take some of their processed water that they would otherwise discharge, bring it onto our site, put it through our advanced treatment systems and reuse it within our facility. So in that way, we're essentially avoiding the need to bring in fresh water um, for our facility except for ingredient use. So um, it had a really significant impact for us, um, at, at more, as you can see in the results. Um, so really, really great initiative and, and something I'm really proud of. 
So just so we, uh, people understand, you treat the water that you've used to process and use it to do other things around the plant, except to brew new um, products, right? Yeah, so that's a food facility. Um, so not, not a beverage facility. So Okay, that's uh, for the food, okay. Yeah, yeah, so we would use it in basically all the other processes except as an ingredient. So ingredients obviously got very, we got, PepsiCo has got very high um, food safety uh, standards, so we need to respect those. So typically, uh, recovered or recycled water would not be used as an ingredient. Okay, great. And also in Kolkata and in India, you essentially recycled water from a rather popular source that most of us probably don't think about, which is potatoes. How does that work? Yeah, that's another great example. So the interesting thing with potatoes is that they can run 80% of a potato's water, right? Um, so... What happens is that we bring the potatoes onto site, they'll get cleaned, they'll get sliced, and then they go into a fryer. In that frying process, um, that water in, the, in those potatoes gets released as, as water vapor, essentially. Um, and in the past, that was being lost to atmosphere. It would just fry off and, and, and get lost. And again, one or two clever guys at our, at our facility there were thinking about this one day and said, well, hang on a second, there's, there's a whole lot of water we're missing out on here. Um, so what we've done now is put in some technology where we capture that water vapor. It then again goes through, with, with food safety in mind, goes through quite an advanced water treatment system, um, which we then can bring back into our process to, to uh, reuse it as, as water for our processing. So great example of again really innovative thinking in terms of how do we reduce our freshwater reliance by utilizing everything that we've got on site including raw materials like potatoes mm. well that's interesting because when i read this i just started thinking back to my elementary school science where we learned about osmosis and diffusion and all of that and how come i never really even thought about using any of them because i just didn't think about it yeah, and that's a, that's. A, I mean, this this is a great thing about PepsiCo, to be honest, is that um, because we have set these really ambitious goals, not only for water but for our entire sustainability agenda. You have this really great innovation process that starts kicking in with us through our R and D colleagues or guys on the line um, who who take this challenge and, and take it to heart and think about these really innovative solutions. So, you know, this stuff probably would not normally have come out ordinarily, but because we put this challenge out. This is where these ideas come up, which is which is really great. Yeah, that is great. Okay, so we just talked about um, two of your manufacturing sites that are, for lack of a better word, repurposing water, and so you don't have to take too much um, water from the local communities around you. Uh, am I to understand that this is something that PepsiCo is doing at all its manufacturing sites around the world? And if that's not the case, is it part of your long-term goal? You mentioned that you had some targets to to meet. So again, we, we've got these uh, 2030 targets um, to, to reach best in class water use efficiency for our food and beverage operations and high water risk areas. And we've got separate targets for uh, world class efficiency for our non high water risk targets. But um, to answer your question, so yes, we are looking at replication of this technology. Um, there are certain nuances with each one of these technologies in terms of where we can and where we can't deploy it. So certainly where we can, and, and, and it's, it's an easy replication, we are absolutely doing that. So for example, the Vallejo type situation has been replicated in other areas. But to, going back to Vallejo one, um, you know, what we need there is, is, is a 
food or beverage processor that's within a reasonable proximity to our facility, right? In order to import that, that processed water. That's not always the case. We don't always have that situation in other plants. So that in, in those sort of circumstances, we can't look at that, but we look at a different technology. So we, we've developed a, a number of, of um, technology levers as such that we can pull to help us get to goal. Um, and, and where we can't use one, we've almost invariably got another technology that we can bring in and deploy. So we've got a very clear glide path uh, for all our facilities to get, get down to targets and the t type of technologies we need to get to to, to that target. So it might not be a Vallejo example or the um, example that we just gave on the potatoes in India, but there are certainly other ones that we can bring in to, to meet that, uh, to close that gap. So essentially, you have a large arsenal that you can draw from depending on the situation Great. too. Okay. Yeah. Great. So I know we may, I mentioned Montevideo earlier. You also mentioned Cape Town with its drought situation in 2018. Uh, PepsiCo, for my research, is partnering with the Nature Conservancy through the Greater Cape Town Water Fund to remove invasive plants from aquifers. Why is this so important to PepsiCo? Yeah, so so um, so that that really talks to our watershed hub goal, right? And and um, Cape Town is is one of those really interesting situations, which, as we mentioned earlier, came very close to that day zero situation where the city almost ran out of water. And you know, working with the Nature Conservancy, which is a great NGO partner for us, and we've got projects with them across across the world, they did some really interesting research to understand what are some of the drivers around this um, water stress in, in, in the area and what they came up with is that around two-thirds of the catchments that feed um, the city of Cape Town um, are covered with invasive plant species um, things like pine things like wattle and why that's important is that these invasive species um, have a significant uh, demand on water right they, they suck up a, a, a lot more water than your indigenous species would. Um, the other issue with them is that they uh, they disturb soil health. They they are more prone to to fires, forest fires, and and particularly with with groundwater flows. Well, a lot of these invasive species have got really, really, really deep uh, root systems. So. Even in dry conditions, they're still able to suck up a lot of water where the local indigenous plants wouldn't be able to do that. The other interesting mm -hmm. thing with Cape Town is that around 70% of that uh, of the indigenous um, plants there are, are endemic to that area. It's a, it's a really unique area. So by removing these plant species, these invasive plant species, essentially what you're doing is you're freeing up a significant amount of water that can now flow into, into that local catchment. Um, and um, you know, over the past couple of years that we've been investing in this project, um, it's it's they they cleared a prop. I think it's around twenty four thousand hectares of water, if I recall correctly, and it's freeing up around thirteen billion liters of water per year that are now flowing through that catchment that were otherwise being sucked up by these invasive plant species. Mm. The other great thing there, sorry, is that. Um, of this partnership has got really great socio-economic impacts as well so you know it's got a very strong focus on employing local people there's about 760 people are now employed 40 percent of them are women um so it's a really great story in terms of how you restore ecological integrity address a really critical water issue and a socio-economic issue as well 
Okay, that's that's great to know. And uh, before we wrap up, I I think right now AI is almost in every conversation <laughs> that is being had. So I just want to know since we're we're in an era where AI is gradually becoming um, important and integrated into everything that's done, I wonder if there's a way that food and, and beverage makers like PepsiCo or even those who manufacture beverages only can or are adapting artificial intelligence to help save um, the water that they use in their production? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's certainly an evolving um, evolving science, as you mentioned. Um, but certainly we're starting to see um, cases for, 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 for use of AI. I think you know, one of the benefits of AI um, amongst the many is, is firstly it's able to collect a vast amount of data, right? It, it's able to, which, which we otherwise wouldn't be able to do. It uses quite complex algorithms to kind of pull this data around and, and push it out in terms of addressing questions that we've got around it and being able to get the right data and look at trends um, and, and be able to intelligently answer the kind of questions we're looking at. So, you know, kind of great examples of that are, are for example, on leak reduction. So, um, you know, AI can can um, identify areas where there are leaks in, in piping systems within our, within our facilities far quicker than we would otherwise be able to do. You know, uh, ordinarily we'd have to wait, you know, maybe day, two days for for either to pick, to, for us to pick it up in the data or you have someone on the line who happens to walk past the leak and identify it. With AI, yeah. you, you've identified that that within you know a couple of minutes, it's really flagging it as an issue. The other thing where it's kind of really neat is that um, in, for example, when we uh, clean our tanks and and, and cleaning our, our, our process lines, um, we have typically used a, a a document standard that says you need to flush a line for an hour, and I'm making that well hypothetically, um, and the and the and the technician on the line would do that here. Flush a line for an hour, then stop, and then um, follow the next instruction. What AI allows us to do is identify the exact point when that line is clean. So instead of doing it for an hour, you can now do it for 25 minutes, um, and and that allows us to um, be a lot more efficient in the way we use water. Um, and there are a number of other great applications with AI. You know, in agriculture, we're starting to see it come through a lot quicker um, in terms of the the um, uh, real-time data linking up with satellites and, and and climate patterns and being able to tell the farmers how much water they need when they should be applied the water again all using drawing in data from a number of sources putting it through an algorithm and being able to get some really intelligent ways to address that so certainly i see it as as it's going to be a really great unlock uh, going forward and and can only get better as this, as, as the ai um, science improves Hmm. Well, that's a, that's good to know that um, at least in spite of all the fears we have about AI, <laughs> there are some other things we could use it for and not really have to worry about the impact it will have on job loss, if I can put it that way, because that's where the fear yeah. is usually. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, David Grant, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. I wish I could have given you a few more ideas for your R&D department, but Unfortunately, osmosis and diffusion are all I can remember. <laughs> and they're already being put to good use. So, yeah. No problem at all. Great to talk to you. And, and thanks for your time as well. You're welcome.
And that's it for this episode of the Foreign Press Podcast. Visit our website www.foreignpresscorrespondence.org for more educational resources produced by the AFPC USA. And check out our dedicated press freedom platform. The address is www.pressfreedom.org for updates on global press freedom violations. Across social media, find us. We are at Foreign Press USA. I hope you'll join us again next time for another episode of the Foreign Press Podcast. I'm Nia Krofi Smatabe.